Hey, welcome back to the Claim the Stage podcast. I am back in the glitter closet today. I don't know if you can tell, just if you can hear the glitter in my voice, but I'm very excited to be back at home, back in the groove. I have a podcast episode that is not part of our mini series, Tales from the Road. I'm very excited to introduce today's guest, Michelle Mazur. But before I do, I want to introduce myself and introduce this podcast. I'm Angela Lucier. I'm your host, and I'm also an author, speaker, and CEO and founder of The Speaker Sisterhood. And the Claim the Stage podcast is a podcast for women who are interested in discovering, awakening, and creating their voice through the art of public speaking. And if you've been listening, I was on a five-week speaking tour, which has been chronicled through this podcast over the last five weeks. And next week, I'm going to come back with one final episode in that series where I'll be interviewed to talk about my reflections from the speaking tour. And we, we were going to put that on the podcast this week, but I actually don't feel ready to talk about it yet because it just ended a couple days ago and I'm still kind of processing everything I learned after the whole whirlwind of being on the road for that long. And if any of you have done that before and kind of been out doing a lot of speaking gigs at once, it takes a little bit of time to you know, think through what happened. And I want to make sure I give you a lot to think about and be able to use in your own speaking career. So we're going to come back next week with that episode. But today I'm interviewing Dr. Michelle Mazur, who is a communication coach and is going to talk about how to use persuasion for good. And I know oftentimes when I'm speaking with women about speaking and about how to be persuasive, that question of like, well, how do I do it without sounding salesy? And how do I do it without being manipulative or coming across like I'm trying to take people's money? And Michelle's tips are really helpful for getting to the core of the message, thinking about what you really want people to do and how you're going to help them and getting away from that like weird icky feeling. So on today's episode, you'll get to hear from her and I hope you you have a good takeaway from it that you can start using in your own speaking. So without further ado, my interview with Dr. Michelle Mazur. Okay, so I guess we are now live. (laughs) Yay! It just happened really quickly. I'm kind of rusty. I haven't done a Facebook Live uh, podcast interview in like two months, so we're just jumping right into it. Yeah, I saw that your recent episodes are all about, you know, the speaking tour and the speaker sisterhood and all the awesome stuff you have going on. Yeah, I was getting really into mini series. So I've been, yeah, I profiled a bunch of speakers in the speaker sisterhood. And then my last five week speaking tour is just tales from the road. So I was doing a lot of recording from Airbnbs and beds and places places I was staying in. Which was fun. But today we are back in the glitter closet, which is where I'm recording right now for our our uh, interview, which I'm really excited about because we're going to talk about how to use the power of persuasion for good. And before we jump into the interview, I want to share a little bit about you, Michelle, my guest, and just kind of tell everyone your background so they know a little bit about you. So Michelle Mazur, PhD, founded Communication Rebel on the belief that communication changes the world. So that's what she helps business owners and speakers do. Could not agree more. Rebel, <laughs> rebel against the status quo to make a difference. She helps them craft their three-word rebellion, rebellious talking points, and a speech that incites action and generates revenue. The speakers Michelle works with have gone on to book $10,000 speaking gigs, become international speakers, they even speak in front of world leaders, and raise three times the amount of money expected for the launch of a charity. 
Her Rebel Yell has appeared, has appeared on Fast Company, Inc., Entrepreneur, PR Daily, Business to Community, and she owns it. She lives in Seattle, Washington with her adoring husband, three obsessive felines, and a huge collection of Duran Duran memorabilia. Awesome. So, Michelle, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Angela. I'm so excited to chat today. So before we jump into all the amazing advice you have to offer, I want to learn a little bit more about you. I'm always so curious about people and how they end up in this profession and how they become speakers. So tell us a little bit about how you got into this field. Yeah, so my journey began when I was a sophomore in high school and super shy, super quiet, and terrified of speaking up. And they did something evil in high school. They forced you to take a public speaking class. And I thought my world was ending because that was not who I was. And I will never forget the first speech I ever gave. I got up in front of the classroom. The boy I liked was in the class, no less. Ugh. Oh, so bad. And I don't even remember what the speech was on, but I remember how it felt. Like my knees were knocking underneath the, the, the desk that I was standing in front of. And my hands were shaking. My voice was wobbly. I was sweating. I was spitting. It was terrible. And I got a gentleman C, what I would call it, in that speaking class. And at the same time, there was this little voice in my head that said, Michelle, this is super important for you. You need to master this skill. So I did what anyone would do when they suck at something. I decided to do it competitively on the speech and debate team, <laughs> which was really where I spent the majority of my time, like in the woodshed, doing the work, losing every single weekend that I went out and competed. But over time, I actually started developing skills. I fell in love with it. And that led me to a PhD in communication because I just wanted to know all there was to know about it. And now I've, you know, like I've trans, yeah, like I've left academia about, oh, 10 years ago now maybe 10 years ago? Yeah, about 10 years ago. And struck out on my own about six years ago. I had a little brief stint in corporate. And this was the work that from a sophomore in high school, I feel like I was called to do. And how, how does that feel today? <laughs> it feels awesome. Well, when I when I left academia, I had this moment of like, oh, maybe I can start my own business and do like work with speakers and do consulting on that avenue. And then I was like, oh, I can't start a business. And so I ended up in market research because PhD is a research degree. So I was like, I can research. Yay. Um, and then I, that was very dissatisfying. So I started a blog. I started talking about speaking. I got my first client. And then I'm like, okay, I can do this as a business and it has been the best personal development ever because <laughs> owning a business makes you get very very clear on what your issues are <laughs> and where you struggle and I, I still love it I love it every day I love my clients I love being able to think about messaging and kind of use that strategic analytical brain of mine to help people yeah, I totally agree about entrepreneurship being like a, a being yourself. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think yes. everybody yes. should start a business at some point just to kind of do that 
deep dive into their motivation, their ab ability to stick with things, to solve, you know, solve problems. It's, it's very helpful for all of that. So mm -hmm. today we're talking about using persuasion for good. And I'm wondering if you can start by telling us uh, one to two fundamental ways to be persuasive, and then maybe one to two ways that peop people generally mess up being persuasive. Because I think sometimes yeah. we think about persuasion, we think about sales, and then people get nervous because they don't want to come across as being salesy. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if you can share us some ways that help people be more persuasive. Yeah. So I was thinking about this question because there's so many different ways. And I think the best way to think about persuasion, and I'm going to get a little nerdy with you for a moment, is there is a theory in communication called the elaboration likelihood model. And it talks about that there are these two paths to persuasion. And one path is what we, you know, like the speak to sell formulas really rely on. It's the scarcity, it's the authority building, it's the social proof and that is used to make like quick decisions and non-enduring persuasion and what I really want to see speakers doing is using the second path that is about making an argument understanding your audience removing their resistance because the more you get people to think about your message the more likely they're going to be persuaded by it. So in my mind, when you're like one or two things that will make you more persuasive is number one, figure out what your audience is resistant to. Change is hard for people. And as speakers, we are in it for the transformation, but we are asking a lot from our audience to like transform from just one speech. So it's our job as speakers to understand what are those areas of resistance that our speech can then remove. So people raise their hand and say, yes, I wanna be a part of what you're creating at the end. And then I think the second tip I have for being more persuasive is really have a clear next step from them. What is your call to action? What do you want them to remember? Because what I find interesting is like most speeches I feel like are like fast food. They're not very memorable. You know, you ate it and then you don't really remember it <laughs> a few hours later, you know, like I know I ate something. And for speakers, you have to get into your audience's memory so that they take the action so that they spread your message. And the way that I help speakers do that is through the three word rebellion, which encapsulates the change you wanna create for your audience in three words, but also gives you the ability to spread, gives the audience the ability to spread your message. And so when you have that clear message that people can easily spread, they're gonna think more about you, they're gonna be more persuaded by you, and they're going to want to join your business or your the movement you're creating so before we jump into ways that people mess up being persuasive mm -hmm. can you give an example of a three-word rebellion sure Oh my gosh. So I just released a podcast episode on this today and a, a great three word rebellion. One of my favorites comes from one of my clients. Her name's Nicole Eisler and her three word rebellion is liberate your control. And what she's rebelling against in her business is that she works with people who are 
sensitive and up in their head all of the time, trying to control every single outcome. And she wants to create freedom and space where they can actually take action and just stay in the moment. So liberate your control was her three word rebellion. I personally love it because I love the word liberate and then control. They don't feel like they should go together, but it works so well, that contrast. I love that. And it's so simple. You're right. Just like boil <laughs> it down. Don't, don't have this 12 sentence kind of like those long mission statements. When you get to the end of them, you're like, yeah, I have no idea what that says. Yeah. Well, and I look at successful speakers like, you know, Mel Robbins or Simon Sinek and five second rule, start with why. They're all very clear, concise, easy to remember and compelling. So yeah, speakers, yeah, you don't want the 12 sentence mission statement because nobody's remembering that. Yeah. You mentioned earlier that you need to figure out what your audience is resistant to. And I'm wondering if you can share how you find that out. How would a speaker know that? So I think, well, if you're, if you're a business owner and you're using speaking for your business to promote it, to get more people involved in your business, to attract clients, then you have to think about what your ideal client is and what their resistance is. So, I mean, it's a lot of talking to people, finding out like what they believe, why they don't want to change. And you just can't be like, why don't you want to change? It's really this more in-depth conversation and picking up on their resistant points. And if you are getting paid to speak, your best resource for finding out what people believe about your message and what they're going to be resistance to is the person who's booking you for the gig, like having the conversation. Like if you speak on, I don't know, social media and you're like, well, what do your people believe about social media? And if they're like, oh, they believe it's a total waste of time. They don't see why they should have to do it. It feels like a drag. Then you know all of that going into your speech and you can address those issues to actually get people excited about your topic. I love it. Yeah. Just do some research. Ask the questions. Yeah. Are there a couple of things that really mess up people being persuasive beyond maybe having too many messages or long calls to action? Is there anything yeah. else you mentioned? I would say relying too much on the like the social the triggers of persuasion like scarcity, authority, familiarity, all of those because those are like those triggers serve a purpose because they help us make decisions every day. When we are in the grocery store looking at laundry detergent, we don't sit there and carefully weigh like, ooh, should I pick Tide? Should I pick seventh generation? I don't know what I should pick. And we just pick what we're familiar with, what works. And it's a low risk for us, right? Like if the laundry detergent sucks, fine. You just don't buy it again. You lost 10 bucks. <laughs> But I see speakers relying on these like tactics to get people to make large, like high risk decisions quickly. And for me, that kind of pings some ethic problem, ethical problems, because if you're asking people to part with a thousand dollars and they have to do it right now because they can never get this offer again, I'm like, Ooh, no. And I do think people are wising up. So relying too much on those persuasion tactics. And I do think there is this interesting energy shift that happens in speeches when you go from, you know, 
giving information, you know, you're sharing, you're creating this transformation for your audience to when you're actually asking them to do an action. Especially, I don't advocate selling from the stage, but what I've noticed with selling from the stage is like, as soon as people get to the ask, their energy shifts. Like you can tell that they're not comfortable doing it, that it doesn't feel genuine to them. And it really turns the audience off. So first off, don't do it. If you don't have to, you can find a next step that is totally free and keeps them connected to you. What would you recommend as a next step, just out of curiosity? Because I know there are many speakers who aren't comfortable doing it and then they feel like they're losing the opportunity. Yeah, I think the first thing to look at is what is your sales cycle for your business? So how are people finding you? So if you have a great lead magnet on your website, maybe it's a workbook or it's a webinar, that can be your next step. If you have more of a high touch business, you can offer a consult, like get on the phone with me and we can talk more about my topic and go deeper and see if there's a way that I can help you further. So those are like free, easy things that make people raise their hand and say, yes, I want to stay connected with you. I want to go on that second date with you <laughs> and see if there's something there, see if we can work together. Love it. So if I wanted to give a persuasive speech to promote my business, what would you tell me to do? How would you have me put that talk together? Yeah, I think the first thing is to do that audience deep dive and figure out like what their challenges are, what their beliefs are. And as a business owner, you should already know those things if you are well established. Like you should know your people and what their challenges are. And then you have to think about what is that endpoint? So what is that three word rebellion? What is that one transformation you want to give them in a speech? Because one of the things I see with speakers is that they tend to over deliver in their speech and that creates distance between you and the audience. Because if I'm up there telling you how to do something and you're taking furious notes and writing down all the things you need to do, basically what I'm telling you is, do those things. And then if you need to work with me, we can talk about that. So figuring out what is that one best transformation that I can give to my audience. And then I take people through like a mapping out process. So like, where are we starting? Where do we want to end up? And what's your next step call to action? And from there, we can create a speech. I, I'm pretty like pretty Aristotle with this, like three points. I really believe in the power of three points. And yeah, then we can create that audience journey, create that experience that makes them more likely to raise their hand and say yes at the end. Do you have a process for helping people figure out those three steps? I tend to hear from people who have 20 to 40 years of experience and they say, I want to tell them everything. All my points are important. How do you, how do you tell people like that who feel like all their stuff is the best? <laughs> <laughs> that yes. Cause there are a lot of ideas people out there. So for me, I always go back to what the audience needs. Like I play the role of an, the audience when I work with someone. So if they're like, but I have to tell them all of these things, I ask the question, is that bringing the audience closer into you or is it pushing them away and giving them more stuff to do? And if they're like, oh, 
I'm pushing them away, giving them more stuff to do. I'm like, yeah, so you don't need to include it. And I always tell my speakers, because sometimes they're like, oh, but I don't feel like I'm giving enough. And I'm like, Mel Robbins gets on stage, tells people to count backwards from five and take an action. And that's her whole speaking platform. And she's making tons of money doing it. So you can have this really small yet transformational result that you're giving to the audience that makes them hungry for more, that makes them devoted to the change you want to give them and that makes them want to follow you. Do you think people have a hard time with that because they think simple means it's not important or it's not enough? Yeah, I think it's that uh, curse of the expert because we are so close to our area of expertise that we think to ourselves like, oh, everyone knows that very simple thing I want to teach people. So I have to give them a lot more because they already know it. And the fact of the matter is, they do not know it. Like if you're an expert, like if, if you look at expertise on a scale from one to 10, your audience is most likely a one or two on the scale while you're hanging out at nine or 10. And most speakers just, you know, kind of be like, okay, well, if I started a seven, I'm like, no, your audience isn't at a seven. They're at a one or a two. We have to really bring it back to the basics, to the simplicity to make it usable for the audience. I love that. And are there some certain things that you would insert into a speech like body language or energy or something that's not necessarily content driven that will help the speaker be more persuasive? Yeah, I think there's a lot of power in pausing because if the goal is to make your audience think so that they have longer lasting persuasion, you have to actually create that space in the presentation itself. And it doesn't have to be like a minute break or anything like that, but longer pauses, especially after questions where you want them to actually think of the answer, we have to give them time to think and reflect before we move on. So creating that space and looking for times when you need to slow down and take a pause, I think is one of the most important skills of being more persuasive. That's so, so smart. Do you have a, a recommendation for the amount of time for a pause? So what I typically do when I'm thinking about pauses is if I was in the audience and I was going to answer the question, I give, I, I think about how long it would take me. So maybe it's just like five seconds. Like, you know, think of a time when you were ridiculously happy and you can pause for about five seconds and people will be able to come up with a time when they were ridiculously happy because that's a salient memory. So it's, going to feel like five, five seconds feels like an eternity in silence. But I always recommend that speakers kind of count it out in their heads. So one, two, three, four, five, I can speak again. <laughs> yeah, that's so, so smart, especially because it often feels like when you're on stage, you're in a time warp and mm -hmm. an hour can feel like a second and a second can feel like an hour. So counting to yourself will help to give you a, a reality check of how much time has actually passed. <laughs> yeah. Or I always love it when I'm speaking and they have like the countdown clock in front of you. 
telling you how much time you have left in the speech because you can actually just like look at the clock and get a feel for how long you've been pausing. And that's just a nice little trick if you're, you know, you have that set up where you have the clock in front of you. Another thing you, you mentioned is that you do rebellious talking points. What does that mean? So to me, it's all about developing talking points that, you know, challenge the status quo, because that's something I'm very much about. Like, how is the system keeping your audience down? And what do we need to do about changing that, whether that's on a personal level, an industry level, or even a societal level? And when we start talking about change, we have to think about, you know, a rebellious talking point could be addressing that resistance of like one of my clients is a coach who like she basically helps people adult like I can't adult today so she's creating this adulting revolution and what she knows from her work is that people are resistant to changing their brain like they know they need to do it intellectually like I can't keep going on the way I've been going on but they don't want to do it they don't trust you know the strategies like my client is teaching so that was like one of her rebellious talking points and then we had like okay what's something else I'm like oh what about you you know like what does adulting look like like, what are those behaviors that make us an adult and why are they so hard to do? So really diving in and thinking about what is it, what conversations do I need to have with my audience in order to move them forward to join what I'm doing? So let's figure out what your call to action will be today for the listeners. If you could give just one piece of advice for a next step that they could start right away to become more persuasive on stage, what would you tell them to do? Well, since I have a messaging bent, I would tell them to figure out what their three-word rebellion is. Like figuring that out, that change you want to create is the most important thing you can do as a speaker because that is how your name gets synonymous with the work that you do in the world. It's the way you make a difference. It's the way you spread your message. And for me, that is one of the most critical things to get clear on because it is so noisy in this world that we live in. So you have to have this message that really rises above that people are like, ooh, tell me more. Heck yes, I'm in. <laughs> I like that response. So let's jump into the lightning round. I have five questions I ask every guest. The first is what does success mean to you? Success means freedom. So I was thinking about this this morning. It's the freedom to choose what you want your life to look like, the freedom to choose where you want to live. It is, to me, ultimately having that freedom of choice and not feeling trapped. Number two, why is it important for more women to speak up? Oh, this was such a good question. I believe we need more diversity in the voices that we're currently hearing from. And that is women of color, that is white women, that is women. So in my opinion, the more points of view that we have, we're able to make better decisions as a society. So a woman holding herself back, not expressing what she knows to be true, not expressing what her ideas are, it actually holds back our whole society from making change. And I believe that women are the change makers. So it's time for us to own our power and speak up.
Yeah. Number three, if you were given an extra $100 per week, what would you do with it? I would actually put it in my vacation savings account to take like a really amazing vacation because I've been working a lot on taking care of myself, not just the business or my family. So yeah, I think we would go to the big island of Hawaii and spend, you know, two weeks just hanging out on the beach, swimming with manta rays. Sounds fab. Nice. <laughs> Number four, what is your favorite word and what does it taste like? Mmm. My favorite word right now is the verb incite. It's such a fiery verb. It's so action oriented. And I think it would taste like a jalapeno popper because yeah, it's just spicy and fiery. So yeah, jalapeno popper. I love this question. <laughs> That's great. Number five, what does it mean to you to claim the stage? To me, claiming the stage means owning your power, owning your leadership ability. I see too many speakers abdicating leadership when they're on stage. They think it's just about selling their products or their services, or I just really like being on stage. And when we claim the stage, we claim our leadership and we are asking people to follow us. And there is power in that. There is responsibility in that. And we have to take it seriously and own up to the fact that if you're a speaker, you are a leader. Totally agree. Is there anything you'd like to promote or share with my audience? Sure. If you are interested in getting the three-word rebellion framework, I give that out freely on my website, threewordrebellion.com. It doesn't matter if you spell out the three or just use the number three, it gets you to the same place. But it gives you all of the writing prompts that you need to figure out your three-word rebellion and some strategies for how to do it. And where can we find more information about you? Yeah. So I live over at drmichellemazer.com. That's where my podcast home base is, which is the Rebel Speaker podcast. It's where blogs live and everything else you ever wanted to know about me lives there. Awesome. Well, Michelle, thanks so much for coming on the show today. I loved your advice. I love your energy. And I also love that you try to make things simple. You know, it should be simple. And I think sometimes we spend a little bit too much time trying to complicate things. Oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> And the easier it is to spread the word, the easier it is for people to follow the advice. So I appreciate yes. you coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Angela. This is fantastic. Okay, there you have it. My interview with Dr. Michelle Mazur. I hope that was helpful and that you got a couple of good tidbits for your own speaking. If you have any ideas for guests or upcoming episodes, or if you have any questions for me that you'd like to appear on an upcoming Q&A episode, please don't hesitate to contact me at Angela at SpeakerSisterhood.com. We're putting together some exciting episodes for the summer and would love to hear from you. So that does it for me this week. Happy to be home, happy to be back in the glitter closet. I'm looking forward to next week. And in the meantime, stop waiting, start creating. I'll see you next time.